Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Psychobetical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, right, as I as promised today, I'm going to do a um, a higher education kind of uh, section of this podcast where I'm going to go through some questions people have asked me uh, uh, recently about climbing. So uh, hopefully there's not too much noise in this room. My uh, wife, Vanessa, is sat behind me reading the newspaper when she should be editing, so editing my book so um hopefully she won't be you know, she's very <laughs> she's a very slow reader so she'll be you know anyway um so yeah so the f- so the first question today this is, this is a long question so i'll read i'll read through it so this I've, I've got a few questions here some are about some are about big wall climbing some are about um uh like winter climbing so i'll, I'll, I'll go through a few and see how far we get so the first one now now I usually try and leave out that there's often a bit at the beginning of these questions where people are like, hi, Andy, you're like amazing human being. I love you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I try and um, I try and miss those bits out. But uh, I, I shall include this one because it's got a little, it's, it's kind of relevant. So hi, Andy. Firstly, congratulations on higher education. This is a fantastic, this is the book, not the podcast. This is a fantastic book that is aimed squarely at geeks like myself and answers a lot of key questions that an experienced British trad climber has when heading to Yosemite for the first time. I'm currently reading it for the third time. Yes, I'm a very, I'm very slow in the uptake and I'm due out this September and I'm currently getting mileage in down the wall and jumaring in a near on a nearby tree. Could you please clarify something about climbing in a team of three? I'm contemplating going doing this on my first trip and I agree with the number of the benefits you identify in a team of three. However, could you please explain the process for a simpleton like myself? So the leader, once he reaches the B layer, fixes the lead line and hole line. Unless the leader is trailing a tag line and then brings up the hole line and the spare lead line, I assume in a team of three that one person has to do more the whole line. I further assume this is due this is done in one of two ways. Number one, the person jugs the whole line while the whole bag is still on the B layer, in which case there should be some slack in the whole line to put in backup knots as he ascends the rope, he or she. Uh, number two, the leader pulls up the slack in the whole line and fixes it to the top B layer. When the second person attaches their jumars to the whole line, the third person releases the whole bag from the B layer, and the second proceeds to jug the, ho- the loaded whole line. The second method seems quicker to me as the third person, once the whole line is released, can begin to clean the pitch. 
In the first method, you would have to wait until a second person has jugged the whole line and reaches the B layer before he can release the whole bag. However, I'm guessing the second method, while quicker, has a couple of significant drawbacks. Firstly, if the whole bag has to be lowered out, this will be a trouser filler moment for the second climber attached to the whole bag. While the third climber, while the, while the third climber lowers out the whole bag with the combined weight of the climber and the whole bag. Secondly, as the rope will be in tension, as in the whole bag has been released, there is no way the climber jugging the whole line can tie backup knots. Could you please comment on my assumptions here and let me know what you would advise for team of three? Apologies if I have missed something out here or it has already it's already covered in the book. Either way, I acknowledge that this stuff is your profession and I do not expect your advice for free. <laughs> please let me know if I can if I can send a donation. Yes, I want I want you know, I want lots of money. Uh um so, so the te so teams of three. I'll start with the teams of three. A team of three on a big wall is a good number of is a good team size because you basically you only have to lead a third of the route, which is good if everyone's like shitting themselves and no one wants to lead anything. So if you're doing like a really hard route, which is kind of scary, and every pitch you think you you might die on it, then only having to do like you know one out of three is a is kind of handy um you also have less weight like if you're doing a route that involves like a long approach or a long ascent then you're basically two two people have the same rack three three people require the same rack as two people so you divide you're dividing the rack between three people and all the other gear and stuff and often you can get away with like one double portal edge and three people and if you do the right kind of routes like one person can sleep on a ledge and the others can sleep in the portal edge and things so um you can reduce the weight that way and generally it's a you're reducing the overall burden the physical and mental burden on the whole team uh, by having three people climbing together uh the um you're also psychologically it's a lot better uh, like if you have any kind of accident or any any shit hits a the fan, then having three people is way better because you've got three people to to sort things out and uh, which you haven't got when there's t there's two of you. But also the psychological side is often if you're doing a really difficult climb, uh, what 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 happens is you the person who's leading like when they start the morale is generally can often be very low like. They think they're gonna they're shitting themselves about doing this next pitch and they don't know what's gonna happen and blah blah blah. So their 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 sort of psyche is very low. Like not always, but you know, quite often it's quite low. Where the other person has got his his psyche is super high because they've just finished their pitch and they're like, Yeah, let's have it, let's have some more, blah, blah, blah. Um and that's one reason why it's quite good to to climb in blocks of pitches, like two or three pitches each, and then switch swap switch over. So you know, you maintain the psych as you're climbing up the wall. But the, so what happens is um, the person with the really high psych then sort of sits on the B layer for several hours, uh, while the other person who's got no psych slowly builds up their psych. And often when the person, if the person is like halfway up the pitch and they, they come up with a problem and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And the, other, the person at the bottom might have a very low psych at this point And they're like, oh, just, just bail, let's just bail us and let's just go back down or something. 
Um, or you know, so it's <laughs> so it's, you know, so the person is the person sitting on the B layers is often just spending the whole time thinking why they should go back down and why you know they shouldn't carry on. Where the person who's leading is like, I'm really enjoying this. Like they're really focused in the. You know, it's probably like, it's probably like being you know. I, I always like make, make these gladiatorial um, analogies, but it's a it's an analogy anyway. But you uh, comparisons where. You know, you're the person who is um, sitting in the in the gladiators waiting room, waiting to go outside and you can hear all the, the lions and the crashing of swords and shields where the person is actually outside fighting the lions and fighting other gladiators. They're just focusing on on the fighting. They're not really thinking, you know, they're not even you haven't got time to even think, I don't like this. I want to go. You know, if you start thinking like that, you're going to get killed. So. So the person who's sitting there on the belay is like the gladiator in the gladiator's waiting room, like going, oh, God. And everything's sort of magnified. Like when you're when you're belaying someone and, you know, say you're on an ice, say you're on an ice route and you've only got like one ice, there's one ice screw in and then there's like a 20 meter run out you know and the leader's up there and he's like oh watch watch me here and you're like oh my god like if he falls he's gonna take like 40 meter fall and he's gonna kill me and we're gonna we're all, we're all gonna die and the the bee layer the climber is actually if you thought he was gonna fall off he probably he wouldn't actually be doing it if he was that high up and maybe he's even joking um i remember once did once did a, a route with vanessa in tuolumne and we got off route and we're, <laughs> we ended up going up this this you know these pitches with no I think we might have had a belay we didn't have any gear in between and I think there's one bit where I was like you know maybe it was like 30 meters above the belay and I was like watch me here you know with no gear in so um so yeah so so the often the belayer has got the, the most stress and I know climbing on big walls the amount of the amount of stress that comes down the wall where someone is like you know really like oh I don't think this is gonna hold me here. Like watch me here. Like oh god, this is terrible. You know, and they are they are really really afraid, but at the same time they're afraid in a very different way from the person who's sitting on the belay. But if you have a team of three, you the, the the chances of everyone being in the same mental headspace at the same time is is kind of you know it, it would if you're all sitting on a ledge you know all day long in a in a thunderstorm, but. Generally, people, it's, you know, it waxes and wanes. People are up now, down now. It's, you know, it depends on how much you've eaten, um, if you're thirsty, and all these kind of things. So, but usually, if you get two people sitting together, it tends to take the edge off it because they can talk about other things. They can, um, you know, like a even when even when someone, if you're with, if you're just by yourself. And your mate's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die. Oh, my God, watch me here. Oh, God, I'm going to die. Like, if you're just, if you're, like, just sitting by yourself on a, you know, on a ledge, you're like, you really feel for that person and you feel like you're up there with him. But when there's when there's two of you, it's almost kind of funny in, if, in a way. Like, you you know, the ridiculousness of the situation, it, it kind of takes, um, as I say, like, takes the edge off it. So, so team of three is very, very good. But if you um, if you don't do it right, then it can be it can be quite slow because you you know you just like if you're <laughs> if you're if you know if you're all incompetent, then you're magnifying it by one uh, <laughs> or, or more. And uh, if you have one, like if you have one person who's a bit incompetent, then the other two can sort of carry them. And if you have two that are incompetent, then maybe that other person, if they really got the shit together, they can manage it. But if there's all three of you are incompetent, then you've you've kind of had it really. So, uh, like I've done quite a lot of 
uh, sort of guiding and things with people where there was you're up to, I think you know kind of I basically done it up to like sort of five five people with only one person who seemed to know what they're doing and uh, it is possible but it takes a lot of uh, a lot of kind of experience uh, you can't you can't be looking after other people if you're really like focusing 100% on yourself because you don't know what the hell you're doing so that's kind of important so so having a having a really good like each each individual in that team like so here like Ian who wrote this email like he's obviously doing lots of training um down the climbing wall and stuff and if you're going to if you want to climb a big wall then like if you want to go ice, if you want to do like ice climbing then you're really very limited what training you can do you know maybe you could like climb up and down a dead tree or something but you're very very limited you can focus on your fitness and you know tying knots or whatever you go and you know go and rent some space in a fridge and go and sit in it and get used to the being in the cold but with the with big wall climbing now big wall climbing doesn't just mean like aid climbing it means like big wall like free climbing you know climbing multi-pitch kind of difficult multi-day walls you uh, you can do like a lot a lot of training and a lot of the things that really screw climbers up is um is like the dew marring hauling uh just little the, the the things that don't seem that important and like when i wrote higher education it was as much for like like aid climbing is like a dying you know a, di- a dying thing uh, it's very f- it's good fun and it's well not fun it's like you know category two fun but it's uh you know it's, it's an interesting um uh exercise mental exercise uh but 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 mainly one reason why it was that you met more and more like free climbers who were you know going to climb you know free routes and they just had no clue because they always thought that oh i aid climbing that's all that dew marring and hauling and all that stuff and i'm a free climber i don't need to know all, all that kind of stuff but if you're going to do if you're going to climb these kind of walls either free or aid and free or new routes then you really need to learn all this shit about dew marring and hauling and fixing ropes and you know, using portal edges and, you know, how to descend if, you know, things go wrong with all this gear and stuff. So it's really, so that, that was one reason why I wrote the book. You can just sort of remove a whole chapter of it. If you're not interested in aid climbing, then you can remove a whole chapter of that, not read that chapter. But even then, what people don't realize is a lot of, you know, free ascents of big walls actually aided, people aid the pitch first, might play a skier or work it all out. So, you know, like someone like Leah, you know, Leah Holding or, and people like that, they you know they 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 actually can they know how to aid climb. So it's it's just a, sk- a skill that's um, kind of good to know. So, um, but Ian's obviously focusing on the dew marring and everything else. And it's but it's also really important that you all, if there's three of you, that you're all training t- together and learning all these things together. You don't want someone who's just going to like rock up and be kind of um, be kind of clueless. And and a lot of the a lot of the training. You want to make it um, as difficult as possible. Like, yeah, go down, go down the climbing wall and learn to jumar up a free hanging rope, and then to then learn to jumar up a rope that's on a on a vertical wall. Then learn to jumar up a, wall, a rope on a on a slab, uh, and then learn to jumar up a rope that's on a on a slab and it's going through lots of gear. And then you know, just just kind of build it up, and eventually you want to be on a ideally you know like a really steep wall like you know 15 20 degree overhanging wall with the ropes going from across from one route to another so it's like zigzagging by several meters all the way up the wall uh, you'll have to do this when there's no one around probably 
uh, so you're making it as uh, as difficult as possible. Uh, but also just the just the, the technique of dumaring up a free hanging rope is really important if you're if you're fixing ropes if you're um, you know because you have to often the ropes you don't really want the ropes touching the rocks if you're on like an overhanging route you you know you want the ropes just coming down so it means you're dumaring a free hanging rope which is you know pretty na- pretty nasty kind of stuff hard work um, so you want to be you want to be fit really so so especially here we're talking about you know, you want you know the, the leader of the team is at the is at the top B layer, and there's two climbers, the seconds on the bottom B layer, and until um, until someone is leading again, like nothing is uh, nothing is happening, no one's going anywhere. So what? So so the le- the leader is like the tip of the spear, or like a train. Maybe maybe the train's a better analogy. Is the team is like a train, and the train has to keep going. So the 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 duty of everyone on that train is to keep the train going. So, so ideally, like when you're sh- when you're short fixing, so you can short fix in a team of three. Is a short fixing technique would be the leader gets to the B layer, and they're on a sixty meter rope, and the rope the B layers are only forty meters apart. So he put he pulls up, or he or she it <laughs> it pulls up um, twenty meters the twenty meters of slack between. The B, the B layer, the, the left in the rope, and they attach that to the B layer with a alpine butterfly, and they they then uh, clip into the the slack of the rope with a grigri or or a, a clove hitch or nothing at all, and then they start they start soloing up the next pitch, they're self B laying themselves up the next pitch, and as soon as they set off, then the seconds one jug, one jugs up the whole line, one jugs up the lead line. Uh, so basically, the 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 leader, the tip of the spear, the front of the train, is only stopping long enough to tie into the B layer and start soloing the next pitch. And when the second gets to the B layer, they put the the leader back on B layer. They untie the alpine butterfly and they B layer the leader, and the whole bag comes up. and that, And that's like a, a very quick method of doing it. And maybe that. Maybe that leader might lead like one third of the of the route in one block, so that you're actually going from individual pitches to like we'll break the route up into thirds, and that's uh, that's a really good tip. If you want to climb a route, a big wall in a day, that's the best way to do it. So you would think climbing as a three is uh, not very good for speed if you're climbing a big wall in one day, and it's it's not it is fast if there's two of you if you're super fit and super motivated and and everything else. But for most people. For most people to lead, uh, like half, you know, five hundred meters of climbing, some of it could be like difficult, tiring, whatever. Is it's very easy just to like run out of steam. So by having, by having a team of three, it means that you always have you 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 all stay a lot fresher, and you can even get to the point where like some, if you if you're speed climbing on like a technical wall, then I would say like often the the pitches might take like an hour an hour to lead some pitches some harder pitches might take an hour so if the you know if the route's got less than 24 pitches you know some some pitches only take 10 minutes some pitches take an hour and a half whatever so you but the averaging out is you you know ideally if you want to do it in in less than in a day one day cent you want to break them all down so you you, you know you're knowing you, you you know average them out what, what the pitch is going to be but if you're if you're say so if someone's like leading a pitch it's going to take an hour and you're on a ledge then you know one person can actually have a sleep so you can 
you know like all you need you don't need to sleep like 15 minutes 20 minutes makes like a huge difference so 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 in terms of speed like that is a that's quite a good thing and i think uh i've climbed el cap in a day uh, a few times uh and and climbing as a three was definitely the most kind of fun uh fun way of doing it so the two the two techniques he like highlights here one is yeah so one is the the leader gets the belay you know conventionally the leader gets the belay sets up the belays attaches the whole the the, the whole line to the belay and the lead line to the belay so they're fixed to the belay so it's, so the lead line's fixed so the second can jumar up uh, taking all the gear out ready to hand over to whoever's whoever's leading and the whole line is fixed and generally generally you would you you'd fix it into the into the pulley into you probably have like a protraction or something uh you'd fit you've put it through to the pulley and you would like the the end of the whole line is is backed up to something else like you never want you, you, you never really want to have uh you know someone's life hanging by the cam of a um of a pulley now technically you know, if you were if you were being um, you know super safe about this, then you wouldn't have it through the pulley. You would put that up. You would put that through after the person had jumard up the whole line, uh, and then the whole line, whole bag was going to come out. But uh, often, you, often, often you don't really. So if you want to be if you want to be super safe, you could you know put put the put the rope through the pulley and then um, uh, release the pulley, release the cam on the pulley, and then. Have the rope tied off with a uh, with a um, like a monta hitch tied off monta hitch, and that would mean that if you forgot, uh, like it's always it's always good to be able to to have the whole bag the whole line releasable in case you uh, forget to actually have the pulley attached. Because if you know if you've got the you've got the whole bag attached with a um, say like a a, uh, a figure of eight knot. And it's clipped into a, a bolt on the belay, and someone releases the whole bag, and it just—it's going to be very difficult to sort that out. Uh, but if it's if it's passed through something, or if it's if it's releasable, so you'd have it. You, so the rope would come up, it would go through a munter hitch that's tied off with a munter mule, and then it goes up, and then it's clipped in to the bolt with a with a you know with a with a with a knot and a carabiner, and it means that. You know, if you do make them, you know, the person's hanging off a munter hitch that's backed up with a with a with a carabiner anywhere, and it's tied off, so it's kind of re- it's kind of releasable. But in in this in his first method is the the se- the second person or the third person. As soon as the belay is fixed, they like clip into the whole line, and they just like climb the whole line like hell for leather uh, up into the up to the belay, and then they would like probably take some of the rack that's there whatever racks left and then they would try and um start leading the next pitch but to do that you either have to when you fix the lead line to the belay you have to leave you have to pull all the slack through so you've got like that 20 meters of slack you've got it at your end and you can pull up some of the whole line before you start hauling so you've got that as well so maybe you give the this new leader 20 meters of rope to play with you give them what rack you've got, and then you just get them off the belay. Like even if they only climb two meters, three meters, they've actually you know they've made, they've made some progress, and also they're not on the belay. So you really want to avoid like everyone being on the belay at the same time, for various reasons. Um, so the other way he mentions here is that the leader, the leader is not is not pull has isn't trailing a whole line; he's trailing a zip line 
which is a you know like a eight millimeter, seven millimeter, nine millimeter rope, often like dynamic rope. And when they get to the B layer, they pull up the the lead line, uh, they pull up the whole line with that rope. And often you pull up the whole line, and where and where they're connected, you have the pulley. Uh, often, often you if you're doing like something really really hard, really hard aid climbing. You don't want to be ca carrying the pulley, the cordelettes, the, all that kind of crap, your jumars, all that kind of stuff. So you'll often just pull up all that stuff uh, within on the end of your zip line along with the whole line. So you bring everything, you pull up everything you need to build, build an anchor uh, at that point. So it reduces reduces the weight. And if you want, at that point, you could also have some extra rack as well. You would pull up a bag that's got some rack in it. Um, to give to the next person who's leading some extra bit of gear but then it starts getting a little bit heavier to to pull up by hand so it's often not worth doing that so you pull that rope up and then now you've got this now you've got the zip line up there and you've got the end of the whole line and you've got the gear so when the person zooms up the zooms up the whole line uh they've already got the zip line there so they can just tie into that they don't need the whole line so you so the whole line is in separate so the person could even lead the entire next page it doesn't matter they don't need the whole line they've got the zip line and uh um the let me think <laughs> so the other way of doing that in, in all, an old sort of speed climbing system was one person would jumar up the jumar up the whole line with the with the lead line with the next lead line they have a spare lead line attached to their harness and so as soon as he got there they would have like the end of the whole line and then and they'd have a new, they'd have a whole new lead line and then they would have uh, the zip line and they'd all be up there then ready for to start leading and they might also jumar up with some extra rack uh, on them as well so but that is a bit of a pain like it's actually it's actually hard work jumaring up a free hanging rope anyway and it's even more hard work jumaring up with a lead line hanging off your harness and an extra rack and everything else so for me, I, I I really like if you want to keep going really really quickly, then I like the the short fixing method because it just works really it just works it just works really really well. It's really really simple. Um, so the second the second option, so so basically until the second person jumps up the whole line, the whole bag can't be released. So that is kind of slowing things down somewhat, but not if you. Uh, not if you can get that next person leading. It doesn't really make any difference, really. Uh, then the only thing that's holding things back is you, you're not going to get the rest of the rack until the pitch has been cleaned below. So it's all these things. There's lots of conflicting you know, question problems and things. And then the other thing was, like, could you just release the whole bag with the person attached to the, to the whole line? So the whole bag and the whole line, are, they're, they're, all the, you know, they're all the same thing. Now, I have done this quite a lot. Uh, like I don't like doing it if you've got like you know a, hor a horrendous amount of weight uh, on the whole bags. Like if you've got a, you you want to do it when you've got a very you need like a good whole line. You need like a ten mil whole line. Like I won't be doing this with anything really really skinny because and if there's any chance of it going over any kind of edges, like one person jumaring up a whole line by them you know by themselves is is kind of okay. But if you have a a whole line weighted down but with one person and you know 100 kilos of water and when you release that that bag the whole line rubs against you know something sharp or whatever then that's really kind of dangerous so like it's dangerous when there's a person hanging on it but it double doubly so when there's like that much weight 
Um, that that was weight on it. <laughs> Vanessa's now trying to like sneak out of the room now. She must have finished her newspaper. So, um, uh, like, but if you've got a, if you've got a light, you know, if you've got like a lightish whole bag, then it's not. You know, if you if you're speed climbing, you know, you know, doing like a one day ascent, you've not got that much stuff. You've just got water in the whole bag. You haven't got all the other stuff. So I think it's kind of I think it's kind of fair, really. The the thing you want to well, one thing you should never do is ever get the person to carry anything unless it's a slab. Like if you do a route like like lurking fear and El Cap, it's all pretty slabby, so you can actually Jumar with quite a quite a heavy rucksack full of water and stuff for a one day ascent. But you know, as soon as it gets steep, it's like a nightmare. And it just makes it use it uses it like saps the strength of the person Jumaring and it slows everything down. So everything that's heavy should be hauled um hold up so so personally i would i would probably go f to be safe like if it's one of these things if you have to ask if you have to ask the question then the answer is you got to go with something you know you got to go with the safest option because because if you don't if you do, if you don't under, quite understand the dangers involved then that's dangerous so you so I would just go for say you're gonna say your aim is to do the nose on El Cap, and there's three of you, then I would probably um, just just try and focus on like you're gonna lose you might lose some time if you do it bad if you're doing this badly, but if you if you can if you can get get it good at jumaring and you can get slick at like changeovers, then I would probably go for where one person leads so you so on the nose you're probably not going to need a, you're not going to want a zip line you want to keep everything simple so you're probably going to have like a whole line and you can have a lead line that's that's going to be it really and you're going to have a lower outline for your for your whole bag so if the leader gets to the leader gets to the B layer and they uh, just pull up some pull up some slack on the lead line and on the whole line but no, you always have to need you have to leave enough slack for the for the person who's cleaning, to lower themselves out, if you're on a, you know, and things at belays and stuff, so it doesn't, doesn't want to be super tight. But pull up enough, pull up some slack. If you've got like a 70 meter rope, 60 meter rope, pull up 10 meters of rope on both ropes. Tie off the, um, tie off the whole line with an alpine butterfly into the belay. Uh, the other end is still tied off, it clipped in anywhere, and uh, feed it through the hauler. Uh, get the hauler set up to haul. The second person jumars up the whole line as soon as they as fast as they can as they're jumaring up. The the last person on the belay is sorting everything out, you know, sorting out the ropes, sorting out the the rack, getting ready to jumar. Uh, they get their jumars on the rope, like ready to ready to go. Uh, they've got the grigri on the rope. You know, when you're jumaring, you jumar with the two jumars and a grigri. And then as soon as the as soon as the second like hits the belay. Um, the the whole bags are lowered out, lowered out, and they can just like hang there. And while the whole bags are hanging there, the 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 next leader can get on the get on the ends of both the, the ropes and start leading the next pitch. And as soon as they start leading the next pitch, the person who's left on the belay should probably start trying to haul as they're belaying the leader on their grigri to just get the because ideally you want the whole bags coming up at the same kind of speed as the leader as the second who's cleaning. And that means they're in the in the right place to sort out the whole bags if something if something happens. Like I don't really like the whole bag ever being above anybody uh, above the second because unless it's super steep and there's no no problems, but you know there's always that chance it's going to knock something down on them or or whatever. 
And that, and that way you you you're just reducing the amount of time as much as possible between the two. Uh, you know, the, you know, when nothing's going on, basically, you just want to you just want to keep someone's something. Someone always seems to be moving and doing something uh, to get you up to the wall as as fast as possible. And you'll just you'll find that the the more you know as, as the pitches go on, you'll just find um, more and more ways to sort of work you know work this out. And you might get to pitches where you might adopt you know like that kind of um, uh, uh, shot fixing kind of technique where you just climb up a bit you climb up a bit higher, you solo up a bit higher while there's a jumaring up and cleaning, and just be, just be flexible. Like sometimes like at the top of the you know, at the top of um, say a route like the nose, then you you know your bag, your whole bag's a lot lighter. Maybe you can release someone and the whole bag at the same time. Um, you know that that's you know it just so just just be flexible with how you do it. But know, knowing all the different ways of doing it is uh, kind of important. So I hope you, it would be good to have some diagrams. But but I'm trying to I'm trying to, I will eventually start trying to do this on YouTube so I can actually draw a little diagram and show you what I'm talking about. But I don't have a webcam or anything to do that. So, right. So, another question. Oh, this is like another. This is a little a mini a mini big wall question here. Um, hey Andy, I'm looking into buying a portal edge, and everyone seems to have beady ledges. I know they that there are lighter ledges out there. Is there a reason for the abundance of black diamond ledges, survivability, or something I'm missing? Cheers for all the climbing stock I've got from you over the years, Andrew. So. So black diamond ledges are probably the most the most common because black diamonds the the brand you're gonna you know it's like a global brand you see it everywhere um, they sponsor a hell of a lot of people a lot of people you know have black diamond ledges and have not bought them but I would say being highly critical uh, <laughs> I would say the black diamond ledge is maybe the worst ledge um, but I'm on, not the worst not as in it's a bad ledge. But it's um, what's the? I'm not very good at like stuff about cars. Um, it's <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's basically it's basically a, a ledge for the masses. Basically, you know, it's not very it's not very cheap. It's very 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 heavy. Um, it is is kind of strong, but it has um, it has you know it's basically. The, you know the history of the, of the of these ledges was you um you know you have all, all sorts of ledge history i want to go into it because it's kind of contentious and people get upset about it because you know some people think they designed one thing and blah 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 so anyway but um but the the, the recent history of the ledges was you had uh like a5 sort of became like a you know probably like the dominant dominant kind of thing you have like um fish like the fish ledges which are more i would say that fish ledges are more like boutique really like i would fish like russ walling who makes fish fish ledges he's like you know like um uh kill bill you know he's a bit like that he's a bit like the sushi chef who's like making samurai swords uh, <laughs> like 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 you know i would i would so anyway so you, so you so if, you know fish is like one basically one guy uh living in um I don't, know where, I don't know where he lives now, like Joshua Tree or somewhere. Uh, yeah, lives in Joshua Tree, and um, he's probably an, I don't know, not even an alcoholic, but basically he like lives. He, he doesn't live on the same you know commercial world, which is the which is a good thing. There's everybody else, you know. He just seems to 
work when he wants to work and he sometimes makes some ledges uh, and all this kind of stuff and he's kind of old school like he's like he's you know he's really it's like a really old school guy with like tons of experience and now i now and i and i think like the stuff he makes is like really really fantastic as well so have lots of fish fish gear um but then you have like and then john Mindorf, he had um a5 uh, ledges and john worked for russ and there's a there's a bit of stuff going on there that we wouldn't like to say what's going on but the um the a5 ledges you know like took took it onto another level it became like more of like a global brand and you know people using a5 ledges a5 ledges over the world and and john right really innovated and you know the ledges very light and you know we use on some of the hardest big walls like you know ever ever climbed so like you know, very very kind of practical and then john sold his company to uh the north face and for a while they kind of kept kept doing them kept making them and then uh they just kind of tended to like a bouldering brand that had nothing to do with big wall climbing and and then you had like then comrade anchor he started ace portal edges um anchor climbing equipment so these were basically taking like, uh, you know, John Middendorf's kind of A5 kind of thing and then moving up like a, another level. It was you know, like Corin Anker's like, you know, incredible big wall climber, like super experienced big wall climber, lots of experience, you know. So so he, he had some more design elements to it. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if during that period that the, the portal edges started getting like, more and more heavy um he- or heavier <laughs> and uh and then and then i think uh black diamond had their folding ledges the um what are they called their um anyway they had these folding portal ledges i can't remember the call now it was a bit like a deck chair or something and they were actually they were actually quite they were actually quite good but they weren't very strong so they were very um pretty flimsy uh you wouldn't you know they were just were they were quite flimsy portal ledges but they kind of worked. They kind of worked in like a North America, you know, Yosemite kind of thing. They were they were they were fine. Anyway, but but eventually they they scrapped those and they I think they bought the designs off Common Anchor. So Ace Ledges became the new kind of Black Diamond Ledges. But I think maybe just to do with who you were selling them to, and it's like you know a huge company, and you know you know the, you haven't got the same sort of margins. Like if you're building a spy plane. For the CIA, you know, you can get away with something pretty radical and specialized. Where if you're making, you know, a jumbo jet for, you know, for the world's airlines, you, you can't you can't do the same. It has to be like very different kind of thing you're making. So I think that ha- that's what happened with the portal ledges. So the black diamond ledges are, you know, super su- super solid, I would say, but they have some they have some failings. They're not. They're not perfect, and a lot of my interactions with Black Diamond Portal Edges, I've had lots of negative experiences, like fly sheets which were too tight to get the the ledge into, and all sorts of things. Like anyway, so so people seem to have a lot of problems with Black Diamond Edges, yeah. But that might be because they're so popular; like everyone's got one. So if you were if you were climbing in, say you were you were just climbing in uh, Yosemite, and you know you. You rock up and it's like two hundred yards to the base of a, of a big wall, and you know then 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 the black diamond ledges are you know are great for that and things, but the way is like a serious for me is like a serious concern if you're doing anything where you have to carry it like a a distance and probably 
probably you know soloing and stuff has made me much more conscious about about this now my current ledge is a fish ledge and i would say that fish ledge is uh probably half the weight maybe i don't know it feels like pretty light compared to a black diamond ledge now another thing with the black diamond ledge is you used to have like an alpine an alpine double you have a single ledge and an alpine double which is about a third bigger than a single ledge uh, for two people and it's you know it's pretty small but it's you know it's not you're not designed for super comfort designed for like practical you know use on a big wall and then um if i brought the cliff cabana which is like a like a luxury giant ledge and that's one problem is the black diamond double ledge is actually a cliff cabana so it's like a very very big ledge uh, where a fish ledge is is pretty small like if you if you're like i'm five eight and it's just about the right size for me. Like any bigger, my head would be poking out the side. And you have to be quite good friends with somebody. Like I've spent, I think, I think I'm, I think I've spent up to like ten nights in it with another person. You know, every night. And you have to be pretty, pretty. You have to get, you have to get on very well. You know, there's no, you know, there's no wanking or anything. You have to, you have to tell straight away. So it's um but it's you know, as I say, it's like very, very light. And also it's made out of steel. Like a fish ledge has got steel tubing with alloy corners, where most ledges it's um alloy tubing with alloy corners. So the uh the alloy ones do get bent more, you know, do get damaged more easily. Like my my A five double edge I had that that got bent. It still it still works, but it's, it's but it's pretty knackered. Because uh, someone, you know, was pulling up onto the B lane, they just grabbed over the ledge and they kind of pulled themselves up on the on the portal ledge, and it just bent the portal edge. So once a once a portal ledge portal edge starts getting bent, you're pretty screwed. Like you just can't get it to go back together very easily. And and the, and the ease of putting your portal edge together is is kind of important. And, and the other the other ledge is the Metolius the Metolius portal edge, uh, which again I think I would just say that was another like Yosemite. Um, portal edge um you know but, but and i would look at the i would look at the prices but recently you've got uh you know john middendorf's brought out um a new load of new, a new load of portal edges um which are really good um is it grade seven is that somebody else's I can't remember i've got i've got what he calls john calls them now anyway john's got some new portal edges out and the, and there are, some are made in australia and some are made by runout customs and runout customs makes portal edges as well so it's very it's got very very complicated buying a portal edge but i would say i would look at the i would really really look at the weight of the portal edge now that is like super 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 important and i would also look at how easy it is for the portal edge to get put up now i would say those two things mean that the black diamond portal edges are not the ones to look at i would either look at um uh let's have a look so I'll just, my brain i'm really i think i'm going to i'm going to see now uh John, have a look. John Middendorf, 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 Dorf. Can't spell. Can't write it. A weird name. John Middendorf. Now his, uh, God, portal edges, portal edges, portal edges. I think I'm having too much sugar. My brain's not working. So his D four. Yeah, D four. So so. Yeah, probably you'd, at the moment. Probably I would. I would either get like a look at getting a D four portal edge, or I would probably get a fish portal edge, a double whammy fish portal edge. 
Now, Fish Portal Edge is, you know, I don't think it's probably changed for like 20 years. It's like super, super old school. It's like, a, it's probably like, a, it's like an, a, a Kalashnikov Portal Edge where um, a D4 Portal Edge is more like a Tesla kind of, Tesla kind of Portal Edge. Um, you know, but they're all, they're, they're all highly specialist. But yeah, so look at the price. Look at how easy it is to put up and down because that is like a massive deal. You know, when you're knackered, when you're hanging on the on a wall and you're, and you're not on a ledge, you just want something that goes up very, very easily. Now, I would say John's uh, D4 portal ledges go up like, you know, the easiest as well. And then if, then you've also got these like, pod ones as well. They pod um, inflatable portal ledges, which are just one, yeah, one person portal ledges. But that's another, that's another, that's another thing altogether. But so anyway, where... Um, also include the price, weight, price, and ease of erection. How easy it is to get erect on a on a big wall. So that's uh, so anyway. So I, I don't want to be talking for too long about all this crap. So what are we on? Forty minutes. Maybe I'll. Uh, what's, what's this one? Uh, I've got one about a picture. I can't do that on on a, on a podcast. Uh, Oh, this is funny. This is a funny one. Hi, Andy. Really enjoying your podcast. In one of your earlier episodes, you mentioned that there are some people who just aren't cut out for climbing, looking at their harness and wondering which way to put it on, etc. I am worried I might be one of these people. It certainly make, takes me a while to learn new knots, techniques, etc. I am not a very visual learner, so I really have to do things myself quite a few times before I understand something. My questions are, are people like me a lost cause when it comes to climbing? Uh, do you have any advice on how one might get over the learning difficulty? Many thanks, uh, Johnny. So, so Johnny. So a few years ago, I did. I, I went to this. Uh, I had to speak at. Uh, um, I don't. I talk about my my work with the military. You know, I like to keep it secret. But I, I was doing some some work with the with the military, and they were talking about. Uh, fighter pilots now fight fighter pilot probably is you know is up there with probably the one of the most technically demanding high stress jobs that probably exists in the world you know there's like no room for mistakes and you know it takes like years of training and and uh, you know all this kind of stuff and they were saying that they have like i think it was like a 70 percent failure rate of for people trying to go to go through the process of becoming a, a fighter pilot and then what they realized was uh you you go into this training you somehow go through the system you come out as a fighter pilot you're a fighter pilot for a number of years then you become then you start training people as a fighter pilot and you know c coming up with the you know, methodology of training people and systems and everything else and uh you know evaluating fighter pilots and then you know and then and that's how you know so you, you're bringing the next generation of fighter pilots but what they realized was all i think all the fighter pilots basically anyone who couldn't learn in the same way as a fighter pilot instructor who'd thought out all these courses then um they were just disc discounting all these other people which was uh you know there, there was a story recently about i read about a guy and he went to psychology I think he went into a psychology degree and he was getting, he got like a C in his like introductory kind of course in it and decided he would do maths instead. And, and the psychology professor had said, oh, someone, you know, 
I can't remember his name now, but he's like, oh, it's, you, you have the same name as one of the world's greatest psych, psych, psychologists. And I reckon, um, you know, he'll, he'll remain the only well-known psychologist, you know, because basically you're an idiot. You're not going to do very well in psychology. And he, um, so he decided he would do maths instead. So he, so, he, so he switched to maths. But then he was really, really bad at maths as well. So he was getting like Fs in maths. So he thought, well, I'll just keep doing psychology. Anyway, he ended up being like 20 years later. He's like, he's like one of the most famous psychologists in the world. And it was just that his way of learning and thinking about things was different from how the, how it was being taught at the time of being tested. So, so, so this thing about the pilots, they decided they would get all these. Um, um, they, they realized they were discounting people who could be fantastic pilots because they just couldn't learn in the same way as as, as others. And if you could learn in that way, you know, if you were a visual learner or whatever, then then you would go through the system, you know, really really well. So they, they did this test where they got all these people together, these fighter pilots, and they said, um, right, we wanted to learn how to do a bunny hop. And we're going to, you, you have one hour to learn to do a bunny hop. And they're like, here's a, here's a manual. Um, you know, like this is, this is like this like 50 page manual of how to do a bunny hop. We want you to do a bunny hop in one hour. So like, so one group of people, they ran off and they started reading this manual, like reading every single page of this manual. Other people, they didn't even look at the manual, they just got on the bike and they started like doing like just trying to do bunny hops and other people were just trying to do bunny hops and they were just talking through it like right then I have to put my hand foot my foot here I have to shift my weight forward anyway so so everyone was um, other people were like watching everybody else like how they did it you know asking people how they did it and all this and so you know the people who read the book you know they would, they would read the whole book and then at the 50th minute they would just get on the bike and do a bunny hop straight away so it kind of it kind of taught them how um, there's lots of different ways of learning things, and climbing is uh, climbing is a sport where we if you're able to like watch like a YouTube video, um, someone explaining like how to set up a belay, then you you know you can in your mind certain people they can they can imagine themselves doing it they can visualize how the you know how everything would go the sound of the carabiner how the you know the Caribbean going through the bolts, the knots being tied, and they can uh, they can learn really really easily. In the same way, like when I was talking just now about climbing as a three, some people will like totally get it, where other people will be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like they re they want you to draw a diagram, they like they want you to you know take them in a field and they want to physically show them. And but all there's no there's no way of learning which is you know which is which is wrong. And it can be frustrating when you're trying to teach somebody how to do something and they just don't, they can't learn in the way you're teaching. So, um, like, I, I'm, I'm really, really bad at maths. I'm really bad at, because I think it's like a, it's an abstract thing I can't hold in my mind. So I, don't, I have no, I had no idea what a square number is until somebody, well, some, some day, someone just got four stones and said, look, this is, a, this is, a, what's, I don't know what square number that is, but here's four stones. You know, that's, that's four, that's a square number. And then they put like nine stones around, you know, made it into nine stones. Is that right? Nine stones? It should be eight stones. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine stones. And they're like, and that nine is like a square number. And I was like, I totally get it. You know, not that much, but I, you know, I, 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 kind of get, I kind of understand what it was. So, so I, I'm, you know, I'm no good at anything like that. Like when I'm really, I'm a big fan of, uh, I have anybody watched Joe Rogan, <laughs> Joe Rogan and Eric Weinstein, um, 
the other day, um, like 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 I, I love Eric Weinstein. He's like one of my favorite, you know, podcasters. Is it Weinstein? Anyway, um, but you know, he started talking about this stuff about you know spinners and string theory, and I was like, Christ Almighty! I just you know, I, it didn't work. It made no sense what to me to ever. So maybe uh, Johnny here, he's like he knows what when he, what he's talking about. But I have no idea what he's talking about. So I would say, I would just like if you if you're climbing already then you, you know, you, you obviously can learn to climb, but maybe you just have a, just the way you're learning, you're just learning in your own, in your own fashion. And also we do tend to fill our minds with a lot of junk techniques and ideas aren't really necessary just because, you know, like we make a living out of like writing books, you know, like 300,000 word books about stuff where, you could just probably learn it, you know, learn it in a few days anyway. You don't need to. So, but some people want, some people want to read and learn that way. And other people will just do it and learn that way. And other people will watch other people and you know, they need someone to actually teach them how to do it. Like a physical human being has to say like, now do this, put this through here. So, so yeah, so I, 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 I'll, I'll finish with this story about someone I know who went climbing with a guy who was like a world famous uh, physicist um, Oxford University who was also a rock climber and this guy lived in a in a completely separate reality to everybody else you know you have on you have, you have on the like dyslexia spectrum I think dyslexic people are generally people who are you know three good at learning you know from looking at things and you know regular maybe not so good at reading how to learn things but they're just good at visual learners they like to pick up things and you know touch them and and play around with things fiddling with things where on the other spectrum, I want, I'm not sure if, if like autistic spectrum is the opposite end to the dyslexic spectrum. Like those people like just basically live in their live in their heads. You know, they have very little need for the physical body. Like people around them just live, totally live in their heads. So this guy they went they went rock climbing together, and they said, "Oh, can you make some uh, make breakfast?" And there's this horrible smell, and he'd actually put the sausages in the frying pan in the plastic wrapping. Uh, <laughs> So he's like one of the most intelligent people in the world who didn't know how to fry some sausages. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, you know, so, so yeah, so I don't think, I yeah, yeah, I have climbed with people who didn't know how to put the harnesses on properly. You know, they, they would, you know, they couldn't work out where the leg loops went and what foot went where. But it didn't make, the, it, didn't, it often didn't mean they were bad climbers. They're often really, really good climbers. But they just, they just, uh, they just, they just, they didn't fill their heads full of stuff they didn't need to know. They just, they were safe. But they just, um, you know, they just had to, they just had to walk a different walk, basically through through life. So I'll, I'll the helicopter's flying around outside my house here. So I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call that a day. And uh, so tomorrow I'm going to do an, a, another podcast, reading out a bit of uh, writing, talking about the not the art of writing, but the the, the stuff of writing. So speak to you then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.